coming up on the Mission Readiness Podcast. We have standards for weight, uh, your your weight, and it's a lifestyle that goes both with physical fitness, um, but also healthy living, which includes you know proper eating. Mission Readiness is the organization of retired admirals and generals working to prepare America's youth for success. Join us as we talk with respected leaders about the challenges facing our next generation. And now, retired U.S. Army Brigadier General Rich Gross and Mission Readiness National Director Ben Goodman. General Gross, you served uh, more than 30 years in the Army. Do you remember how you found out about it? Yeah, hey, Ben, good to see you again. Uh, I, I, I do remember I walked into my high school guidance counselor's office looking for options to go to college. And there was a brochure for uh, the U.S. Military Academy at West Point at, at, right on her shelf. And I got it and read it. And, and that's how I found out about it. And, you know, it's funny, you, you think about it. Some recruiter, uh, probably from West Point, sent those out to various high schools just to, to provide that information to kids looking for options to join the military. Changed my life. If I hadn't seen it, who knows where I'd be today. Now, we, we know that uh, recruiting can be a difficult task, and we talk at Mission Readiness a lot about the different challenges. Uh, I just listened to your interview with General Frank Muth, and uh, the Army's doing some pretty cool things to try and get around this challenge. I have to tell you, I was, I was amazed listening to General Muth speak about U.S. Army Recruiting Command because I wasn't aware of some of the, uh, the innovative things that they do to, to recruit soldiers into today's Army. Uh, and, you know, he's about my peer group, my age. He's, uh, he's a, came into the Army back in, uh, in 1987 uh, or 1986, commissioned in the Army aviation and uh, spent a lot of years commanding units, uh, a lot of years in combat, a lot of doing a lot of amazing things. And in his current job, he oversees this incredible organization that is responsible for recruit, recruiting all the soldiers into the military. And, uh, and, you know, it's an interesting conversation. We talk a lot about some of the issues they face. We, we talk about some of the issues that obviously Mission Readiness cares very much about. Uh, and I'm excited to share this podcast interview with, with our listeners. Well, General Frank Muth, thank you again so much for being on our podcast. We, we appreciate you taking time out of your extremely busy schedule to talk to us a little bit about your mission, the U.S. Army Recruiting Command, what you do. So I think I'd just start by asking for, for our listeners who may not know what the U.S. Army Recruiting Command does and, and, and the mission, would you please just give us an overview of that, as well as your roles and responsibilities as the commanding general? Yeah, so thanks, Rich. Appreciate it. And by the way, honored to be able to spend some time with you on this great Friday morning. I don't know where you are, but the weather's gorgeous here. So uh, United States Army Recruiting Command was stood up in 1974 when we changed to the all-volunteer force. Uh, we oversee the um, accessions, uh, which I kind of call the accessions mission, which is putting future soldiers on the bus and sending them to basic training. And we oversee that for both the regular army and the reserve. Uh, the National Guard has a separate element that does that. Um, on an average, uh, we assess into the Army about anywhere from over the last 10 years, probably just to take that, it's about 60 to 70,000 a year. And those are the folks that get on the bus. Now, we have a separate mission, but we have another additional mission, which we call the contract mission, because the way it works in recruiting is you've got to assess to put on the bus X amount, but I also have to get on contract 
a certain amount because to kind of prime the pump the beginning of the following year. So we assess about 60 to 70,000, but we contract an additional 13 to 15,000 that that's come October, November, December, that's when they go, but they don't count against us for this year. Um, my roles and responsibility is it's a organization that has 14,000 soldiers and civilians spread across 1,405 locations around the world to include Japan, Korea, uh, the Marshall Islands, Hawaii, Italy, and Germany, and then all over the United States, continental United States. And um, I, I, I am... Uh, I do this with the help of a lot of great people, but one in particular is our command sergeant major, Tabitha Gavia, and she is the most brilliant leader, non-commissioned officer that I have ever worked with in 34 years. Yeah, I, I don't know what we would do without NCOs. They, they truly are the backbone of the Army. That's, that's, that's not a cliche. That's just truth. Uh, and your mission is extraordinary, and I cannot imagine the challenges I, I want to go back. I want to take you back to the beginning of 2020, which seems like an eternity ago before the COVID pandemic. And tell us uh, what the recruiting landscape for the Army looked like back then and what challenges were you working on then? Yeah, Rich, um, to talk about 2020, we actually have to go back to the summer of 2018. And the reason I say that is uh, that's when she and I came together to uh, to take command of this organization. and we were on the edge of failing that mission that year, and we ultimately did. Uh, the Army had a requirement of 76,500 accessions, and we only got 70,000. So we came up short 6,500, which hadn't happened since 2005. So she and I were given the task uh, by the Secretary and the Chief to look inward um, and find out ways that we could do better uh, with initiatives. And the Secretary said, look, try everything and anything you can, and if it fails, fail it quickly and then move on. And don't come back and ask for permission. Just do it. And I said, okay. And um, so she and I looked at it, and we looked at what we called taking the Titanic that was the rudder was stuck, the engine was broken, and it was going in the wrong direction. And in a year or less in some aspects, uh, we fixed the rudder, fixed the engine, went full speed, and turned it 180 degrees. And what happened is it all started with talking to the recruiters down in the trenches. What can we do better? And the first thing they said is, let's get off the phone because nobody picks up the phone, but you require us to get on the phone and call people for four or five hours a day. I mean, when's the last, Rich, when's the last time you, that you answered a phone of a number you don't recognize? Nobody does. Nobody so, does. And we said, okay, then what, what do you recommend? And they said, social media. Why aren't we allowed to be on Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat uh, or Twitter to be able to use memes and advertise both ourselves, but as a larger aspect of the army? And we're like, well, I don't know. And I found out that day that I, I had the authority to do it. And overnight, we changed. Um, and then, but anyway, so there was that. We can talk about esports later. We stood up an esports competitive team to promote the Army and recruiting. Um, the e-fitness team, uh, a rock band uh, that also is called the Outreach. All of that. And then we changed a lot of internal mechanisms to really, in one way to describe, take us out of the industrial age of recruiting into the digital age. And it was approaching that Z generation of 17 to 24. And so what, did that, what does that mean? That meant by the end of 19, we made our mission that year. And we were given a 68,000 mission and we actually exceeded that, but our quality marks far exceeded what we had been able to achieve for a long time. Um, and then this year, we were initially starting at about 69,000, that's changed now. Um, and we were, before COVID-19 hit in January, we were 2,224 contracts ahead 
from that time versus the year before. And all That's of that fantastic. has to do with it's it. Yeah, it was, it was the morale, of the organization was better, uh, but they, all the initiatives, all the power that we pushed down to the recruiter to make decisions on their own to stay, uh, you know, relevant to the changes that were occurring around. And that really, you know, that, that, that was great to see. Well, and that's an extraordinary leadership lesson that, that I do want to highlight is you, you guys went and listened to the people right, who were on the front lines and got the great feedback about what you needed to change to, to meet the recruiting goals for today's generation. I think that's extraordinary and, and a lesson we all ought to learn better. Tell me about the esports. I'm interested in yeah. hearing about that. The esports, it was, it was fantastic. So you almost could say that the social media um, helped um, empower soldiers to understand that we were willing to listen and change the ways we were doing things, which led this phone call that came out of a, from a, a station commander in Baton Rouge, uh, Louisiana, a Sergeant First Class Jones. We were, Sergeant Major and I were down in Alabama taking a briefing, and we got this word that he would like to call us and talk about esports. And I'm like, okay. So we do a conference call in between our meetings, and he lays out the, um, some of the data that he had already pulled, he had already done a beta test on his own, but using some other aspects to do a tournament. He is not, he's a player, but he's not a competitive player. He's more of a caller. Think Howard Cosell guy. And he's very popular and his, his, his handle is known. So if he calls a tournament, he'll draw people in. And his beta test had 35,000 people sign up to watch him call. And by the way, when he went live, he was in his OCP uniform he was talking to the civilian uh, uh, caller, and he was, the caller was like, well, what do you do in the Army? I'm, I'm a recruiter. As a matter of fact, we have 150 different MOSs. You know, and so he basically talks about the Army, and I have a recruiter standing by if you want to call. Uh, within 10 minutes, there were 1.1 million people watching that, that tournament. And over wow. the next 24 hours, 2.4 million watched it. And we had the heat map, which we could see where the IP addresses were coming in to watch. And it started, this was in L.A., started up in Alaska and went through the West Coast all the way um, out to El Paso, Phoenix area. 2.4 million people. And he showed me this data and, or talked about it, and then he showed it to me later, but he talked about it on the phone call. And so <laughs> the first thing Sergeant Major and I said, okay, one, how soon can you move to Fort Knox? And two, I need this thing stood up by October. This is August. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So essentially, uh, he got this thing up and running. We put out a call across the Army for uh, people to try out. Eight, 8,000 soldiers signed up to try out by December, and wow. we did our tryouts in late December, early January, and uh, for 16 slots. And then we started moving the team to Fort Knox starting in the February timeframe, and they all got there by the summer. Meanwhile, though, we started playing the team out in kind of getting some more exposure um, at the different conferences. It's called PAX East, PAX uh, South. First one we did was Pack South in San Antonio. But anyway, uh, and even though they were not, they were in different units, whether it was the First Armored Division at Bliss or whatever, we would bring them in for the tournament, t pay their TDY, and then they would go back and do their jobs until they could get them PCS. So anyway, they've been up and running now. And um, that first year, we got about 4,000 leads. And before this whole thing hit, which we are still getting plenty of leads, uh, we're on par or we're on uh, – pace to get 24,000 leads just from the esports team this year. That's amazing. I mean, that's just innovation at work and, and yeah. incredible to see that happen. 
Well, as you know, I want to I want to talk a little bit about mission readiness. Is one of our cornerstone issues is addressing childhood obesity and ensuring that young people have access to fresh and nutritious foods. Talk a little bit about how childhood obesity has impacted uh, the recruiting environment over the last few decades. Well, you know, I mean, it's 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 one of the top reasons why people don't qualify. Um, and so, you know, there's we think it's important um, one for many reasons for the health of the nation to be able to provide, um, you know, whether it's uh, information or classes or examples, um, which gets me to our e-fitness team, or not e-fitness team, but we stood up a fitness team also, did tryouts, because they go out to schools and talk about fitness. These are nationally ranked competitive CrossFit, um, weightlifters, uh, you know, all these different um, genres of fitness that they're involved in. And one of the ways that we kind of help address this is by them going to the schools and talking and showing an example, but then putting on a potential workout, which they do all the time on social media, but they do it face-to-face. -face. Um, we know this is a challenge. And so when future soldiers potentially come in to talk to us about signing up, um, we, we, you can tell, or you, we have to weigh them. That's one of the first things. And, you know, if they have a challenge, uh, we start working with them. And, you know, within a certain percentage, we can sign a contract. But if they're over that, then what we do is, we'll, we've, I've got stories of uh, soldiers working a year to lose the weight to be able to come into the army. And, and we'll work with them on that. Because this is, if we don't address this, it's just going to continue to get um, worse. And has the army had to adjust basic training to, to add additional fitness there as well? Well, I don't say we've uh, changed the training, but you're, we do have more nutritional classes. They talk about that kind of stuff. They have to because, you know, it, here's the thing is it's, it, it's not just when we go through the training. It's, 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 it, it's a lifestyle that they may be used to that you can't, you know, you can't be in the Army and, and continue that lifestyle because we have standards for weight, uh, your, your weight and your physical fitness. And now, especially with the new Army Combat Fitness Test, I, I've taken it twice and I can tell you, uh, you can't just run the two miles and do push-ups and sit-ups anymore and, and pass that test. You have to put in functional fitness into your routine, weightlifting into your routine. You still have to do cardio. Uh, you still need to do CrossFit or something like that, uh, interval training, um, to be able to pass that. It's a, it's a new, it, and it's a lifestyle that goes both with physical fitness, um, but also healthy living, which includes, you know, proper eating. Well, let's talk about 2020 since COVID. Um, yeah. It's, it's been a difficult year for everyone, uh, and dealing with the pandemic and, and isolate, social isolation, as they call it, physical isolation, probably more accurate. But what's it been like for your team's to recruit during this COVID-19 pandemic? Well, again, I hate to keep going back to 18, but um, if we hadn't uh, initiated all these different changes in our organization and truly tried to become that learning organization with a new mindset of let's try different things and, and set a certain tone, especially on the digital uh, and the social network, it would have been much, much harder. Um, so here's what, what we did, Rich, is on the 18th of March, we could, I could see uh, our doc was doing continuous updates. Two brigades, the one on the East Coast was having significant issues with the COVID spreading. Fifth Brigade, which is down in the Texas uh, Southwest area, was having a spike too. And it was on that Monday, which I think was the 15th of March. And I kept getting these reports. And then finally, I said, okay, that's it. 
we're all going to come out of the recruiting stations, 100%, all 1,400, and we're going to work from home. Um, and so what we did, I said, so the term we use is we're not closing the stations. We're just going 100% virtual, and, and that was our term. And we changed a bunch of regs and policies, regulations and policies, to allow them to virtually recruit. So they were allowed to do an interview on Skype or FaceTime, which was never allowed before. They were allowed to witness signatures on the applications um, through Skype or um, the uh, FaceTime, whatever means. Um, they were allowed to ship documents because we, we created a kind of like DocuSign, a system that allowed for you to secure uh, personal information and ship documents to the recruiter. All of that allowed them to do what we termed a new term called a soft contract which allows you to virtually do the entire contract from remote locations and never even meeting this person, up to 90%, because they can also do the test, the, it's called a PICAT, it's, the ver, it's a shorter version of the ASVAB, um, and they can do that from home too. And then we allow them to get a reservation for a training seat, all based on that data. So when they finally were able to get into the MEPS, the only two things they have to do is do a physical, and then they have to revalidate that test score through another test there at MEPS, just to ensure that somebody wasn't at home using a calculator or something that they're not allowed to use. That was unprecedented because it didn't exist before. And so that allowed for us to probably get after 50% of what we would normally get in a month. It's, and I, the way I, everyone was kind of disappointed, I said, what are you talking about? It's better than zero because <laughs> that's what it would have been if we not, yeah. not changed our ways. And the threat to the force by them being in those recruiting stations was pretty high. And we weren't willing to sacrifice or not sacrifice, but potentially put our recruiters in harm's way. And it's not just the recruiters because they're going home at night and it puts their families in harm's, you know, with the, with the outbreak. And um, so we're, so we're back utilizing the stations. Now we're at a reduced footprint in the stations to keep social distancing, but we're back at it. And we've taken the term open or closed out of our lexicon. Because if you're virtual, you're never closed. And so it's our term now for stations are increasing utilization or decreasing utilization. Oh, I like that. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and it's turned out well. And the numbers are up. Now, are we behind? Yeah, we're behind. Um, can, I think we can make it up. The morale of the force, they're ready to get after it. And I can already see it in the numbers. Oh, that's great. Now, what about uh, basic training for both officers and enlisted? Are they able to conduct basic training right now? Yeah. So what they're doing. So we put a lot of um, protocols into place. So, you know, at, at one point in late March, early April, I think it was, we did stop shipping for two weeks and it allowed the basic training or all the different training bases to instill several different protocols that allow for them to, you know, ensure that we reduce the signature of uh, COVID-19 or the spread. So the first thing they would do at, at, at the, any basic training or any training uh, location is they come in and they uh, immediately get tested and go into a 14-day quarantine before they're allowed to enter the training base at all. And then once they do that and they've cleared, um, you know, they still do training. They still instituted social distancing, but they're still going training. I mean, we shipped a thousand soldiers this week alone. And, That's um, and basic training is now, and, and they do the same thing in terms of moving from basic training to AIT. They take all the different precautions. Um, you know, instead of a van of 12, you're only allowed to have a van. It's a 12-seat van, but you only put six in there. It's that kind of stuff that you're doing uh, to ensure. And have there been cases of COVID-19? Yeah. But it's still, it's, it's within the national rate of like 1.8%. Um, it hasn't spiked, which is good because you can imagine in that type of closed-in environment, you, 
potentially could really have a high spike and beyond what the, the national average would be. So, um, but yeah, we're continuing to ship and we're continuing to process and continuing to train. That's, that's absolutely amazing. Uh, my hat's off to you and, and the rest of your team for doing that. General, you mentioned that uh, due to COVID, your numbers are, are a little down in recruiting and, and you're a little bit behind. Are there any anything you're doing to address that particular situation? Yeah, Rich, we, we got a couple things uh, in the hopper. And, and frankly, the Army's never done this like, like some of the other things we're doing right now across the board for recruiting. One is uh, next on the 12th of June, we're doing Operation 245. And that's really for the, the birthday's the 14th, but that's a Sunday. So we're going to do it on Friday. And that is just a big push across um, not just United States Army Recruiting Command, um, but also throughout the Army of get the message out about, you know, you know join us. We are hiring. Uh, the Army is, you know, we've got 150, you know, MOSs, as you know. So and that's kind of like a lit that we're using that as kind of a test bed. Because the big ones coming for the first time in the history of the Army, we're doing the Army National Hiring Days. And that's the 30th of June uh, through the 2nd of July. And what we're asking every, not just senior leader and leader in the Army, but every soldier to be an active recruiter for three days. And that is, you know, let's do messages that are outward facing and not inward facing. You know, whether it's a soldier talking about their time as being a soldier, or it's a senior leader having an engagement, uh, the, the 82nd Airborne Division Commander having an engagement with senior leadership out of Raleigh, or um, the 101st Commander doing the same thing with Nashville, or somebody out at Fort Drum um, up there, uh, Brian Menace, um, doing a interview with a local newspaper or a radio, or maybe just doing an Instagram post for 30 minutes or 30 seconds just saying, hey, look, you know, here's what the Army's about and saying the same thing that we're hiring. Join us. Great team, a very diverse team. And we've got a lot of opportunities, you know, just get that out there. So and it's going to be a big push for three days. We're offering a special bonus during that time up to two thousand dollars if they sign a contract during those three uh, days. And the intent is we're going after 10,000 leads. And uh, McDonald's did this a couple years ago. And I know we're not McDonald's, uh, but they hired 50,000 people and increased their employment by 7% in one day because it was an all-out effort. And that's what we're asking the Army senior leadership to do. I briefed it to the secretary a couple weeks ago, and he says, let's do it. So I've got a follow-up brief on Monday with him, and uh, the whole Army is going to be behind this. That is a really cool idea. You know, you might think about adding retirees to that and uh, oh, future well, Army hiring days. Yeah, I didn't mention. So it is. It's CASAs. It's the um, it's the MSOs that are out there. It's we're asking. It's our Veterans Association. We're asking everybody just take three days and do something a little bit every day for those three days to get the message out about come join the Army opportunities. You know, uh, loan repayment, GI Bill, all those different uh, different benefits that are out there and soft skills and hard skills that we provide in the army for training uh, for both if you stay in as a career or if you get out in three or four years. You know, you've talked about a lot of these changes in, in how you're doing business. And I, and I know the rest of the army is, is doing similar things. And as they look at work from home and virtual and, and, uh, and, and, and remaining consistently open, um, but do you think do you think some of these changes will create lasting effects on recruitment? Do you see some of these new technologies, some of these new methods you're using? You think it's going to be a permanent change or or back to business as as usual once this is COVID is over? 
So uh, we will not change those policies or regulations back to where they were. So I, I see a day where we have a recruiter that just a, is a rock star, two and three contracts a month. Why does that recruiter have to come in and work out of the station all week? Why can't they come in on Monday, do an update with the station commander and IPR, set the, set the conditions for the rest of the week or priorities? Then go to Starbucks and, and recruit there or go home or go do what you ever have to do. And by the way, one of the other changes we made is we call it domicile to duty. They're allowed now to take their government vehicle home for the week. And they weren't allowed to take it home. But now they can because why? if they can use that vehicle to go and do what they need to do, it gives them more freedom of action. So all of that, I think that has to stay. And that could potentially mean that do we consolidate some of our stations? Do we reduce some of our brick and mortar? Because I don't need as much space because potentially these recruiters don't even come into the um, station because they can work 100% from home. So, I mean, we've got to keep open to the technology and the, and, the, and the new ways to reach this youth generation because the next one coming, you know, we've got the Z generation next and we're already getting briefed on alpha generation because uh, that's the next one that's coming in. And the Z generation that's where we have to truly be innovative and we've got to be able to be flexible and be a learning organization. They are not um, tech savvy like millennials. They're tech innate. They look at five screens. Millennials looked at three. They have an eight second attention span. And you've got to know all of that to understand how to reach them and, and what you have to do. I mean, when we do our memes or advertisement, you've got to be producing something every week. Because when, they, when they're swiping through their phone, if they see it for the first time, they'll stop. They'll read it. When they swipe through the phone the next day and they see that again, they're just going to keep going. So you're, the million dollars that you spent on that advertisement, it's, it's good for them on one shot. After that, wow. it's, I mean, it helps with the influencers, but the, the younger generation, they look at it once and they keep moving. So anyway, I know that's a long answer to a short question, but my point no, is this. Not, is, yeah. We have got to be – we have to be – accepting of change, accepting of innovation, accepting of trying something quickly. If it fails, that's okay. Move on and try something else. And it's the only way that I think you can keep up with the way it's Moore's law. Everything, everything's doubling and tripling every 18 months. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and extraordinary challenges as you, as you think through these, you know, the more screens, more screen time, more time indoors, more esports. Uh, do you see childhood obesity increasing? Do you think that's going to, uh, it's never going to go away, but do you see it getting worse with future yeah. generations? Yeah. So it, it comes back. Let me, let me, uh, so the screen time, let's go back and talk about, you know, 60% of our millennial or uh, Z generation are playing esports. Uh, the traditional mindset of the esports, the gamer, is you know eating a ho ho on a couch, drinking a Red Bull, playing for nine hours. That may have been the case at one point, but it's mainstream now. It truly is mainstream. Everyone's doing it. Uh, and I go to these conventions, and yeah, you see a lot of kids that are obese, but a lot of them aren't. Um, so, but my point, you, you're ab rich. You're absolutely right. We so. I read this great, somebody posted something again about, you know, our childhood and what it was like, which was, we were always outside. We were always riding our bikes. We, were, we were, weren't allowed to come inside until dinner time. All of that. Well, that's not the case. So then how do you counter that narrative with the younger generation today? They've still, we've still got to get them outside and we've, they've still got to get exercise because sitting on the couch is just nothing. It's going to 
create nothing but a very unhealthy generation. And that's got to be, you know, the advantage of esports is I can, I can create a lot of leads, but there's also a challenge there. So I've got to have a twofold message, you know, about healthy lifestyle, healthy eating and exercise. Well, and I think your e-fitness initiative addresses that as well, which is they, which yeah, good to hear. It is. And we've got, we don't have any Z, you know, I think we've got a couple that are maybe 23, 24. Um, but, you know, when you see these folks that go in and they, they talk, I, I think it is a great message for them to say, look, you know, this is, you can't not be doing some type of exercise because it's just, it's just so unhealthy for yourself and, and for your future. Uh, you may yeah. get by in your early 20s, but it's going to catch up with you quick. Yeah, you get our age. Absolutely. That is true. Well, I, I've got to take an opportunity here because, you know, as a senior leader of, a, of an extraordinarily large organization with a huge span of control, a huge mission, uh, you've got some lessons learned. So my, my first question I would ask you is, what advice would you give to leaders about running an organization that is is operating remotely, that is that is working from home. What, what's your advice there when it comes to, to leading? Well, the first thing it goes back to, Rich, is what we started doing from the get-go, which is you gotta listen to your people. Uh, and I'll t when I say listen to them, it's not just when you're, 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 um, you're down there talking to them. In this world today, flatten your organization. Don't create a hierarchy. Hierarchy does nothing but, but uh, validates um, uh, processes where a, a create a network where you you are netric, net centric in terms of working together, working as one team, and allowing each other's voices to be heard. And in this world today, it's we get I get direct message every day from our soldiers, giving us ideas, maybe having a complaint, maybe having a problem. So does my sergeant major. So do our leaders. And when you create an organization that's truly flat. Um, the first thing for it to be truly flat is you have to listen. And you can't take something that may be bad news and, and, and take it as an, it's an offense or, uh, to your leadership or whatever. It's, it's a problem to solve. As a leader, if you're not solving problems for your people, then you're, being, you're, you're creating an organization that nobody wants to be a part of. So flatten your organization. You have to listen to your people. You push down as much authority as you can to the lowest level. Um, it's prudent risk to, uh, at, with that, okay? So think of prudent risk, push it down. Because in today's world, if you're not, you have to innovate quickly. You have to get ideas quickly. And you have to decide quickly, as fast as you can, um, to, in terms of keeping everything up. And then lastly, I'll just say, I mean, there's a lot more I could talk about, um, but when you do all of that networking, when you do the listening, when you do have compassion for everything you're asking your organization to do, and also passion uh, for what you're doing, and especially here, because we, we're supporting our nation and our army, um, your morale will go up because now everybody knows they have a voice. And I can't tell you that I think the power of having a high morale organization is incredible. So were those number increases this past year because of the innovation? Yes. I think it's more so because the morale in the organization was doing really well because we were listening and we were solving their problems and we had the compassion for what we were asking them and their families to sacrifice every day. And that made a big difference. And one of our mottos, I mean, we, our philosophy is four words, compassion, passion, standards, and discipline. Compassion for what we're asking them to do uh, every day for our army passion for the job and supporting our constitution 
supporting uh, the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and then standards and discipline to be part of this organization. Um, and then lastly is create an organization that people fight to get into instead of fight to get out of. Who wants to come to work and be miserable every day, right? Don't, you know, Absolutely. hunt for the good. It's out there and be the leader that inspires people, fill their inspirational tank every day. All right. I've worked for those leaders in the army where they took me down to about two ounces and I was almost ready to be done. And thank God there were three specific times where I, they followed that leader that was terrible with three inspirational leaders that have helped me shape my philosophy of leadership today because they came to work every day and they filled your inspirational tank and you just bounced out of bed to become part of that organization and wanted to go to work every day. Why wouldn't you want to create an organization like that and be part of it? Well, no, I think that's what absolutely. we've done. And, and she and I have uh, loved doing this job for the last almost two years. And, uh, you know, we don't stand in front of this formation. We stand in the formation with them every day. That's incredible. Just incredible. One last question. Yep. Uh, what books would you recommend that folks read right now? Uh, um, <laughs> well, personally, I like, I'm a history major. So I just finished Mayflower, which was awesome. Uh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know a lot about that. Um, you know, one of my go-tos is, um, I like Blink because, um, Blink great is, book. it's Malcolm a great Gladwell. book because I will tell you, I, you know, it, it speaks to me. Um, so here's the thing is, um, I, and the reason why it speaks to me is, um, there's three types of leaders out there. Okay. You've got a technocratic, autocratic, and inspirational. A technocratic leader just comes in there and and, and ask for numbers. That's all they talk about. Numbers, 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 right? And like, okay, right? The autocratic leader beats the crap out of people. And they just come in, you know, it's like, you know, beating the, that infantry squad to get through that complex obstacle. And then they get to the other side and they're about to take a knee. No, you got to push through. Well, the thing is, you can do that to an organization for a little bit, and then they're going to take a knee on you. They're going to quit. That's just a fact. And then you can be the inspirational leader. And I think I get back to Blink is that, Blink allows for you to have this internal mechanism within you to take all the experiences you've had and quickly make decisions from your Blink experience, meaning from your gut. And I think, especially if you're an inspirational leader and you've got that capability within you to kind of listen to your inner self, and that comes with experience, but I think that also comes with common, cell, common sense you know, and, and if you're looking at the world with, with sound reasoning and common sense um, approach to it and sound logic, uh, it allows for you to make these quick decisions if you have to. And, and I say that if you have to is because I think at times, if you have the time, you always listen to your people because then they become part of the solution. And it's not just you making that decision. It's us making that decision. But the blink talks about when you don't have that time, listen to your gut. And I think that's important for leaders to understand. But the other piece is it doesn't work either if you have, if you have an organization that morale's in the dirt. So you've got to have that, that organization that's willing to take your blink decision without question and move out and follow you. But you've got to do that through an inspirational leadership style. Well, I've been inspired today listening to a very inspirational <laughs> leader and uh, Major General Frank Booth. We just wish you the best. We're, we're proud of what you're doing for our nation. Uh, thank you again for joining us on the podcast. Pretty interesting, wasn't it? What, what surprised you the most, Ben, about uh, the U.S. Army Recruiting Command and what General Booth said? 
I'm still trying to wrap my head sir, around this whole concept of esports. Uh, right? Th that's that's uh, that's still pretty new to me. Yeah, it was new to me. Uh, I was very gratified to see that he's thinking about the same issues with with child nutrition and some and a lot of the things obviously that we care very much about at Mission Readiness. The esports surprised me. Uh, the just the amount of innovation they're doing and and really bottom up listening to their soldiers, their recruiters out in the field and being willing to take some risks. I mean, just kind of a cool organization. It really is. They're, they're so dynamic and to be trying to uh, move to all these new opportunities and, and, and take it head on. It's just it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's cool. I can't wait to see where they're going to be a few years from now. No, I agree with you. And, and I'm excited about this podcast. I, I think uh, we, we've got some neat, neat guests on tap. We've got some great ideas for folks. And, and I, I, I think uh, it's going to be a, a real benefit to Mission Readiness and our listeners. No. Well, we're glad to have you on board, sir, and uh, excited to, to have all our listeners start tuning in. We've got some great guests and conversations coming up, and we hope, uh, hope you'll all subscribe and, and keep, on, keep on listening.